You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hello, what's up, universe? Jose Young's here with MMAfighting.com. No, Sean did not grow hair. No, Mark Raimondi did not get more handsome. It is I, Jose Young's, your new host of the of MMA Fighting's A Side Live Chat. Joining me, Alexander K. Lee. Been on the show before. Alex, how you doing? Uh, I'm very good. Sorry, I was just retweeting this historic show, this historic pairing of uh, of Jose Youngs and Alexander K. Lee, the new faces, the new generation. I feel of uh, of MMA media. We've gotten a lot of questions about that, so I'm sure we'll hit them going down. But uh, before we start, I know we normally start at 10 a.m. Pacific time, uh, like 1 p.m. Eastern time, but there was some Vox Media prior scheduling conflicts, so we had to bump this to an an hour later. But next week and moving forward, we will be start at the normal time. But this is just a one time thing. It just so happened to be it was my very first time hosting this. So, but without further ado, because this is not our show, this is your all show. So we're going to jump into the comment section first. If you obviously we're going to answer the green questions. Uh, You know the drill. Uh, go on Twitter, use the ha- hashtag the A side, and we'll hit your questions. But Alex, first question: Your eye favors comeback. What is the point? From our friend Trumbo. Hey guys, good morning and good luck on the newest version of the live chat. Sure you'll kill it. Thanks, guy or gal. I'm having a hard time seeing the purpose of to your eyes comeback. He's 40, which is really old for the lower weight classes. His style and skill set seems antiquated for at least the last five years and i doubt he has any chance against the elite of the division he seems to have plenty of money what is the point alex last week we there was hinting obviously he was on the mma hour that uri favor hinting at a comeback it was later announced that he'll be fighting ricky simone at ufc sacramento his hometown so to answer the question what is the point does he have enough money should he be fighting he is a new dad alex your thoughts Okay, we'll get to the matchup, the, the specific matchup with Simone later. It, that is a strange one. I'm not sure I can explain that one. But first, why come back at all? Well, I tweeted something the other day. Also, the first time I was on the show uh, a few weeks ago, I wanted people to know that my mission statement is, is MMA is supposed to be fun. That's the most important thing. I know it's a business. I know we, we cover it. You know, we know all about the ins and outs of the business, the way it has to be. It's not always, uh, it's not always pretty. But it is a sport. It is entertainment. It's supposed to be fun. And I think having guys like Uriah Faber fight in their home in close to home in Sacramento, that to me is fun. Uh, now I know again, you you know, fighters staying past their best before date, mm-hmm. that's not so fun. And you know, again, there's examples: BJ Penn, uh, Chuck Liddell, that comeback. I wouldn't call that fun. But in general, I'd like to think that soon we can find some sort of balance where maybe guys like Uriah fight once a year if if they're able, if they want to. Um, you know, if, if everything, all the medicals check out at any time, like the UFC comes to Sacramento or somewhere near, you know, California region that that uh, Faber is very popular in. Imagine if George St. Pierre fought once a year in, in Montreal, something like that. You know, uh, it, it's, it's someone when I mentioned this the other day, someone replied to me, well, you know, it's just going to result in some really ugly matchups and and, uh, you know, promoters not necessarily looking out for the fighters best interests. But again, I'm an idealist. I'm an optimist. I like to think this idea could work. You know, even kind of relates to the Legends League that people are always talking about, either in like Bellator or UFC. Mm-hmm. But generally, just speaking about Uriah, I think, you know, he's not quite ready to let go yet. He's he's still in fairly good shape. He trains all the time. Obviously, he's the, he's the head of Team Alpha Male. So this seems harmless, other than the fact that he's fighting a pro, uh, legit future contender who could maybe 
really hurt him. But other than that, um, you know, he loves it. And I think it's good for the fans, Sacramento. And a comment underneath is said in, he had an interview with Dan Hardy where he basically announced this. And I haven't watched that full interview yet. Um, he, he said he's looking to raise capital for new business ventures. And this was the quickest way to do it is putting his name out on the limelight. Is that a smart decision, fighting to grow your businesses or just fighting because you like to fight? Man, I don't know how much money you know Uriah's made fighting. I imagine a pretty good amount just based on how often he's fought, how high profile his fights were. But you know, for most fighters, we know even a lot of the guys who are main main card mainstays, they don't always make the most money. So I hope that that's not primarily the reason. I'm sure it won't hurt. I'm sure whatever sponsorship and you know uh, set whatever salary he happens to get, because uh, I don't think that's smart if he's just coming back um, and thinks and and you know is planning to just use that money to whatever business ventures he plans to get into. Uh, but again, I don't know the state of his finances. Maybe he need, he knows he needs X amount of cash and he's working at that deal with the UFC and that'll fund, uh, you know, whatever he plans to do next. So, but uh, just doing it for the money seems ill-advised. And, and, and my take is like, Uriah's always been one of the, those fighters that he has a lot of businesses, whether they succeeded or failed. Like, remember they had like MMA, like university, like a few years ago or whatever. And then he had like the form, uh, which was like a clothing company. I think John Jones is actually one of, he sponsored like John Jones early in his career. Uh, it doesn't surprise me. I, it is a little, it's weird to me because his fight against Brad Pickett, his la, his actual retirement fight in Sacramento was such a good sendoff. Like he beat a, a fellow veteran in his hometown. He got the, the, like people were, I remember watching that and it went to a decision obviously. And with 10 seconds left, the fans in the arena were like counting like 10, nine like these are the last 10 seconds we'll ever see uriah faber in the octagon ever again and he did say on the mma hour that he has a little bit of foam uh fomo fear missing out uh so maybe he just really wants to be a part of the espn era maybe this is just a one-off he wants to see if his body gets still handed but he is a new dad too uh you always hear like especially cowboy before his fight in uh denver that all fight week he's like nothing's new this child hasn't changed anything and then he actually fought and he completely 180 he's like as soon as the fight was over, I only wanted to see my new chop, my new my new kid. So uh, uh, you have to wonder where his head's at. But I'm not I'm not one to tell fighters when they should hang it up. Uh, well, before we move, I just want to say there's a quote from the Tom Cruise movie Cocktail, where one of the characters says, uh, "Everything ends badly, otherwise it wouldn't end." So I hope that's <laughs> not the case here. Uh, again, it has been the case for some fighters in the past, but uh, let's hope that Uriah has. Uh, more success in his comeback and moving on uh next question from greb 77 yoel romero's court win against supplement company your reactions do you think more lawsuits will follow and then right below it 27 million dollars is a lot of bread will yoel fight again well and to set the scene yoel romero uh he won his lawsuit against i can't remember the the company off the top of my head but basically he he, he filed a lawsuit for like a tainted supplement and he won and he's receiving $27 million. So obviously he's not just receiving just a giant, all that money right away. Like it's obvious, like they have to figure out how he's going to get paid, but he won the lawsuit. Your thoughts, will more lawsuits follow? Is this a turning point in this whole um, tainted supplement debacle that we've seen in the last few years? So the company is called uh, Gold Star Performance Products, which with a name like that, I'm so disappointed that they would be involved okay. in any sort of uh, chicanery that would get fighters in trouble and, and result in them uh, taking this massive lawsuit hit. You know, uh, I, I think, again, I'm, I'm no legal expert, but I think as a lot of comments I've seen, which I agree with, is that uh, the likelihood of getting all of that uh, 27 some million 
doubtful, doubtful. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know. Again, the finance of this company, but if they if they can't afford to take that hit, you know, they're going to declare for bankruptcy, and it's very likely that UL receives a fraction of that right. twenty seven million. Now, what a fraction of that is, how, how much of a fraction, whether that be enough to get him to contemplate retirement, I doubt it. I think, I think, it, you know, whatever money he gets, it'll be, you know, huge for sure. And, uh, and I do think other fighters would be wise to consider their options uh, based on this verdict, how much success will they have? Again, it's going to depend from case to case. Um, but, uh, you know, for UL, I think he will fight again. I don't think this is the sort of thing. He, he loves fighting. He loves fighting and competing. I think he still wants that UFC title. So, uh, yeah, good for him for whatever money he can make from this. But we'll definitely see him uh, several more times inside the octagon. And what do you think about him actually winning the lawsuit? I mean, like you said, this is basically just like a fancy, I owe you $27 million. Like, he's going to get a very small fraction of it. But at the end of the day, he did win this lawsuit. Is how, like, now... Going forward, say, fill in the blank, like, has a tainted supplement. Lawsuit right away. Like, there's now precedent that they can win these lawsuits. Yeah, and again, for a lot of fighters, I, I mean, I do feel some, I always feel bad for some of them that, uh, again, the people before this, who uh, either hadn't considered this option or may, maybe it was, uh, they had poor representation or their cases were just, you know, so different that that they, you know, couldn't uh, couldn't reach the same uh, conclusion that Romero got to. So uh, I, I don't know, I'm talking about, if we're talking about the court of public opinion, I don't know how much, uh, how much this is going to help fighters who get into this kind of trouble. For example, look at Yoel. I mean, Yoel, even before he got into trouble, just because of his insane physique, yeah. you had a lot of people questioning stuff. Obviously, Michael Bissing made a lot of made a lot of cracks about it. He's a, he's a rival. So I think uh, Yoel said that, you know, he's very happy. It's not about the money. He feels vindicated that he's innocent. But sadly, the stuff was still in his system. And there are fighters who are going to have things in their system who, you know, that excuse may, may not be as truthful. So uh, how much does it mean to win in the eyes of the fans, I don't know if it changes things. I think the people who thought he was dirty might still feel that way. And I think the people who thought he was mostly innocent will still think he's mostly innocent. So, And I, I actually think it's not going to sway everyone, but I actually do think in the, in the eyes of the public, this might actually benefit him. I mean, he took this company to court and won. Like, obviously, he's not going to get all the money. We've said that before. But in the eyes, in the, the optics are they were proven wrong. He was proven right. Like if you just don't know anything about law and you just see he won a court case against a major company that I think that, that, that does a lot for the, his public, the, how the public views him. Uh, and he is fighting Paulo Costa later on this year. He is returning. I'm sure we're going to get to ask him a lot of questions about that, whether he received any of the money, whether he wants to keep fighting. So uh, I obviously can't speak of whether he'll fight again, but I bet in August he's going to get asked that a lot. But moving on, Alex, another interesting business question. Endeavor going public from our friend Ted Bear. When might this happen? What do you expect to learn about the UFC? Will Dana continue to Dana? Would you invest? So Alex, WME, IMG, Endeavor, whatever you want to call them, they did go public. I did read through that giant, like that giant like booklet they put out, like laying out their business plans. Not just for the UFC. This is everything because they are this massive media conglomerate. They are the parent company of the UFC. They bought them from the Fertitta brothers for like the $4.6 billion, whatever, uh, a few years ago. And they did lay out some uh, potential risks as most as, as, as any smart businessman will do. And they're, they, they brought up like possible 
possibly being sued for like long-term effects of concussion, like possibly like uh, collective bargaining, uh, like being sued. Like there was a lot of risk that they laid out in this, like this booklet is, is public, not like you can go and read it for free, but your initial reaction for the, the endeavor and basically the UFC going public because Dana said, maybe for those of you who don't know that, the, he, someone asked him, would the UFC ever go public? He basically said, not as long as I'm president. <laughs> Doesn't seem to be the case. Well, you know, uh, Dana says a lot of things, yep. and maybe he, maybe he believed that at the time he said it. I, I don't think he's going to, you know, voluntarily uh, step aside or, or that his role will even change that significantly. Uh, he's he's a good he's a good figurehead. Uh, mm-hmm. I know people don't think so. Uh, I know certainly we in, in uh, you know the journalist side of things have our frustrations with Dana White. But if you want to talk about someone who is uh, front and center of the company and takes a lot of the heat and takes a lot of the flack, he's very good at that. Uh, you know, whether, again, whether uh, whether you believe he is responsible for a lot of the woes of the company, uh, it's maybe a matter of opinion, might be a matter of perspective, but uh, he is good in that job. And I think regardless of whether they're, pub- you know, they're changed to going public, I think he still can perform that role fairly strongly. So. And he'll he'll adapt. He'll adapt. He's adapted before. Uh, you know, he's he's adapted as as the company has grown. This might be a big adjustment for him, but um, no, I don't think we see Dana White going anywhere. Uh, not based on this, anyway. Not just based on them going public. Um, and what do you think? Because a lot of the for years, people have wanted to open the books of the UFC. Now that they're public, they they're going to pull the curtain back on the UFC a lot. <laughs> it, so basically, what are you hoping to learn about the UFC? now that we can we we can open these books i don't know it's so much i mean obviously if we could learn more about those individual contracts goodness yeah. that would be helpful i mean you know there's rumblings there's rumors there's people who have accidentally uh put out the contracts and fight agreements on social media which they weren't supposed to so people have kind of glimpsed them but it, it's never been you know like i said never been made public so now that everyone can see them i hope this, if not just for for the fans, but I hope the fighters, I know they see the contracts, but I hope they can, I don't know. I just want to, I guess more for the fans that everyone can see, uh, you know, the circumstances that these fighters and their management are dealing with. And again, maybe they already knew, maybe they didn't, but I hope it opens their eyes and says, sees that some of the practices that the company is, is going, you know, undergoes are, are not, uh, not ideal for the fighters or the product. That said, the UFC, you know, they've kind of been involved in a in a lawsuit, a pretty big long lawsuit. I think an antitrust yeah. lawsuit over the last few years, and I feel like that's actually and now that they're going public is a good thing. It's given them a chance to sort of examine themselves and kind of figure out, okay, what do we need to change? What do we need to possibly hide? You know, I don't know. That's not very ethical, but what do we need to uh, a fudge? You know, what can we fudge? What do we need to fudge so that when this goes public? People see it and aren't quite, you know, aren't alarmed by what's going on. So, in in a sense, yeah, that kind of worked out for them. They're they're uh, they're probably a little more prepared to go public than people expect and to have their uh, their numbers and and things revealed. And I'm very fascinated by this story, but it just happened. Like it, we're, they're still in the early stages. Um, I'm sure Dane's gonna ask this by everyone. I'm sure going down the road, we're gonna talk about this a lot more. But it is the early stages. Ask us again in a month, and I bet we'll have even more questions. Well, maybe we've learned more, but me personally, I am going to follow. The, I am very excited to follow this story. But moving on, uh, can, can I stop pretending I'm smart now that I that I that I have knowledge of of real world things? Don't sell yourself short, Alex. Oh, you're, God, you're, smart. You're, you're a smart guy up there in Canada. Well, smart, <laughs> smart enough. All right, moving on. 
If you want to talk UFC Hall of Fame, please discuss the ridiculousness of having two current fighters in it. From our good friend, my first question from Matt the Donk. <laughs> BJ Penn and Uriah Faber are both active fighters now. That means that 50% of the modern era wing is still competing. I like to think that this is one of the reasons most North American sports with a, quote, real Hall of Fame have a five-year waiting period. It also makes sense to have cooling off period to make sure that five years after retirement, a resume truly stands up and we're not inducting someone based on the emotional high of a great retirement fight. Thoughts on the above? And do you think, do you ever think MMA will have a real Hall of Fame? Now, before we get in, I am a huge baseball fan. Like that is my favorite sport. And baseball has obviously made exceptions for the immediate induction. Roberto Clemente is the, is the one that comes to mind. He, he tragically passed away in a car, uh, a plane plane crash and he was like immediately inducted in the hall of fame that seems to be the exception but there is that five-year waiting period and during those five years a lock and change like you saw like the steroid era like in those like you see public like when barry bonds retired he was not well liked by the media by fans whatever five years later his numbers are starting to go up but alex do you think there should be a five-year waiting period and what do you think about Uriah Faber and BJ Penn, two Hall of Famers still competing? Man, uh, in MMA, real, the word real, that's one of those words <laughs> with uh, like deserved. When people say deserved, uh, that's another word in MMA that I feel like is uh, very malleable, unfortunately, and in some ways not applicable to anything. So uh, what is a real Hall of Fame? I don't know. So I'll go, I'll go from last to, to answering the last part to the first part. Uh, I, I can't imagine, will there ever be a real Hall of Fame? The question is, who will pay for it? Yeah, That's the question you want to ask. Who will pay for a real Hall of Fame? Who, who, will, who will oversee it? Because in North America, I mean, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, Dana White and the UFC are the kind of the purveyors of, of uh, MMA history in North America. Uh, I, I, probably that's not the way it should be. But that is the way it is now, at least in the eyes of, uh, of the general public. So, you know, their Hall of Fame to a lot of people is the quote unquote, real MMA Hall of Fame. Um, having active fighters is a bit strange. <laughs> I don't know what you do with a guy like BJ Penn, who I think technically retired his first retirement was definitely more than five years ago. Uh, he just didn't stick to it. So I don't know if that's the UFC's fault. Uh, Faber is sort of an odd one. Yeah, they could have let that simmer for a while. But again, really, it's, you know, as, as far as uh, how silly is it to have active fighters, really, the timing is just based on uh, who can they get? Uh, who's, as people always say, who is Dana White's friend? And uh, on the timing thing, I want to say, like, some, I saw someone asking, why didn't why didn't uh, they induct George St. Pierre this year? And it's like, they already have names this year that they're inducting. They'll save that for next year. So it's really just a scheduling thing, as as silly as that sounds. Um, they it really very, just want. It very much reminds me of the WWE Hall of Fame, yeah. where it's basically like we need one big name and yep. then a couple, and then there's there's like tiers where, and in the eyes of like you said, the fans, like that's probably like their go to Hall of Fame. But there's no like physical building, and it's all like WWE, UFC. Uh, no one votes on it. They're just like inducted into all of fame it's not like the the baseball and football and basketball hall of fame where the media members vote and then if you if you don't get in that year you appear on the ballot next year and then i think it's like 10 or 15 years of being on the ballot if you don't make it then you fall off or if you get below a certain threshold like say you get below five percent you just automatically fall off uh like and then you see jim rice where it took him the entire time like 15 years to make the hall of fame when a lot of people thought he should have been a first ballot hall of famer that's another story but uh 
I do wish there was just an MMA Hall of Fame. Like then you could bring in Pride, you could bring in like the WEC, you could bring in Strike Force, you can bring in all of these guys. Um, it, but like you said, who's going to do it? Because in professional wrestling, there are a lot of Hall of Fames. There's the yes. WWE Hall of Fame. There's like the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. There's the, like the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame that was created in like 2002. So there's a there's a lot. I wish they would all be under one group. But the UFC Hall of Fame is pretty much as close as we're going to get to right now. Because like you, MMA is, as an organized sport, like the UFC, is not that old. Like baseball is hundreds of years old. So they can go back through the annals of time and have all this rich history. The UFC does not. Obviously, Strike Force is no more. WC is no more. Pride is no more. But I would love a physical MMA Hall of Fame Hall of Fame building. I don't know. I don't think we're ever going to get it, especially because like the Hall of have you been to the Baseball Hall of Fame or anything like that? Never been. So if you go, they obviously have wings of all this like old, like you can see Babe Ruth's real bat. You can see Michael Jordan's real shoes. Like you go to the Boxing Hall of Fame, you can see Muhammad Ali's gloves. Like if they do an MMA Hall of Fame and they put everything under one banner, like you're going to have to get these things. I don't think the UFC is going to give an MMA Hall of Fame like these are the gloves that Andrew Silva wore when he front kicked Forrest Griffin. Like, no, they're going to keep that for themselves. So I, I don't think we will ever see it, but I would very much love it because I, I love going to the, all of those uh, music. They're, they are museums. I love going to them. Yeah, I mean, that yeah, that's 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 uh, certainly the hope. And I just want to add that again, you know, the names going in this year, uh, I think just to name three, Bisping, Rich Franklin and Rashad Evans. Correct. So, yeah, so they're pretty much loaded as far as uh, as far as inducting people this year. So and then but then they run into the same problem that the WWE has. And I'm sorry to keep bringing that up. But like when mm -hmm. someone has an issue with, say, Vince McMahon, they're, they should be in the Hall of Fame, but they're not like Owen Hart should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Frank Shamrock should be in the UFC Hall of Fame. But because they have this negative relationship with Dana White, they are not. Uh, so I do wish there was if say if it's just the UFC, whatever. I wish it came down to more than just one person saying yay or nay. Like, put it to a yep. vote. Yep. Anyway, I'm going to get all heated. I could talk about Hall of Fame forever. But moving on uh, from LFMWA, ex-UFC ex fighters turned champs versus current champs. Interesting. List of hypothetical matchups based on UFC fighters who left the organization that captured gold in other promotions versus current UFC champs of their division. Heavyweight. Bader versus DC, Phil Davis, former champ versus John Jones. They were teased before Davis got beat by Rob. I was actually at that fight. Musasi versus Adesanya, or I guess you put that Whitaker in there too, obviously. McDonald versus Kamaru, Horiguchi versus Cejudo. So they didn't really ask a question whether we thought win or lose, but of those, so I'll ask a question. Of those fights I named, which one would you be most interested in seeing play out? Oh, I mean... Uh... I, okay, just looking at it, I think Musasi Adesanya. I don't know. That, that's probably the obvious answer. Right. Um, yeah, I think Musasi Adesanya. And then secondly, I guess Horaguchi Cejudo. How about you? Um, I like to see Gegard Musasi versus Robert Whitaker. I mean, he is technically the champion. He doesn't have interim tied to him. Uh, Horaguchi versus Cejudo would be awesome. That could be two different weight classes, too. That could be a flyweight. That could be a champ champ versus champ champ in a couple weeks. Because uh, Horiguchi is obviously fighting Bellator for Darren Caldwell's title. He's the ri the, the, ri the Ryzen, Risen champion. And then Cejudo's fighting Marlon Moraes for the Bantamweight. So that could be champ champ versus champ champ. That would be awesome. And then obviously DC versus Bader at heavyweight. 
I would favor DC. Obviously, I think DC could be one of the greatest heavyweights ever. If, if he had stayed his whole career, he'd probably be the greatest heavyweight, uh, but he didn't want to fight his teammate. I'd say Bader DC is probably second for me just because we were supposed to have that happen. Uh, and that is champ champ versus champ champ. Bader did win that Grand Prix. So I'd probably say Musasi versus Izzy slash Whitaker and then Bader DC for sure. Plus, Bader's an ASU guy. Always watch him fight. <laughs> Phil Davis is a little bit of an odd choice. I get the theme is that they have to be ex UFC fighters who became uh, champions in other promotions. That's, and I I was yeah. at that fight, UFC 172 in Baltimore, when Phil Davis, the whole media day, was talking about he was fighting Rumble Johnson, who was coming back from World Series of his World Series of Fighting run after he got cut for after losing to Vitor Belfort in his whole uh, weight uh, weight debacle. Anthony Rumble Johnson was coming back to the UFC and got paired up with Phil Davis, and all week Phil Davis only talks about John Jones, who was fighting Glover Teixeira in the main event, and then when they were doing the stare downs. When John Jones came out to, to face off Glover, Phil Davis walked out and tried to stare down John Jones at media day. And then he ends up losing to Rumble Johnson. So I remember that very vividly. Uh, but we've already obviously already seen Bader versus John Jones. So Phil Davis versus John Jones. I guess the next one, that makes sense. So, yeah. But, again, that's the one I would least like to see. Uh, yeah. The Rory versus uh, Usman one would be interesting as well. I don't know how much luster – Rory has lost with, you know, again, going out to fight Musashi, which was just probably a mistake. And then kind of a, <clears throat> pardon me, kind of a, I don't want to say, you know, disappointing, but, uh, you know, not not his best performance, you know, to put it nicely against against John Fitch, a guy who I think a lot of a lot of people would have predicted he would just run through um, with no, no disrespect to Fitch, just given where they are in their careers and, and how good I think people still think McDonald is. But after that, I think you'd see a lot of action coming in on Usman I think a lot of people would would uh would pick Usman now would I uh you know I'm I'm maybe it's the Canadian bias Jose I'm still a believer in McDonald I still think he'd be able to pull that one out but that uh you know that Usman he's uh, he's on a hell of a run I agree 100% with you that Roy definitely lost some luster fighting to a draw and his post-fight comments and that obviously so you're only as good as your last performances and he lost he got he got like destroyed by gay guard Obviously, that was middleweight, but that's still fresh in people's mind. And then his next fight, when he could erase that memory, he fights John Fitch to a draw and then basically moves on in the tournament in a tech, due to a technicality. So I agree with you 100% that Rory's definitely lost luster. But I think if Rory is 100% sharp and 100% focused, I think he could be any welterweight on the world. I think he's one of the best. He's one of the most talented fighters. But at this point, you have to be alarmed about, where, about his comments. And uh, But yeah, I 100% agree with you. The Neiman Gracie fight will be very telling as to I, I agree. And a lot of I was in I was at Bellator in Chicago recently, and a lot of people I asked said Neiman Gracie is the dark horse to win this whole thing. And Josh Thompson even said that he's not even the dark horse. I would favor him to win this whole thing. Because I asked him, I go, should MVP versus Lima, basically the winner of that, should they be the favorites? Now that Rory's like fought to a draw, and he says, Neiman Gracie's my favorite. So uh if he can get past Neiman Gracie in not even in emphatic fashion, but just actually win against the guy his fellow fighters are picking to win the tournament. I think that's going to do do wonders for his career. But moving on from our friend, the big squish. Is this as big as the UFC gets? One bona fide global superstar across the entire roster at the top of their game earned around 1 million pay-per-view buys. Or can it get bigger still? Now, this is an interesting question because I asked Sean this. That 1 million pay-per-view buys was 
the like the the gold star. This is what like when you if you hit a, a if you go over a million, that is a milestone. Like that's obviously like the Brock Lesnar's. Uh, I think Rashad did Rashad Rampage do a million buys when they were they were beefing back in the day. Uh, it was close, George, yeah. George St. Pierre's, Connors, Ronda's, like these people get a million buys, but that is the old pay per view model. Now that you have to do, you have to go on ESPN Plus to buy. I asked Sean this: What do you think in your mind is the new gold star? Like to me, I we we both kind of agreed that in the early stages, like three hundred fifty thousand buys on ESPN Plus is going to be a huge win. And before that, that obviously wouldn't be a big deal. But uh, can it get bigger? And what do you think should be the new gold star? In my that's this is my question. What do you think should be the new standard for milestones and pay per views? You know, I feel like uh, Sean and I discussed this as well uh, when I made my A-side debut. It, it is, and I, I feel like it gets asked every week, as it should, because I think we're still very early in the ESPN Plus phase. And the metric, as the results come in, uh, again, they didn't sound very promising for the first couple of shows that have been on ESPN Plus. It does seem to keep moving the goalposts. So definitely 1 million, 1 million buys on ESPN Plus appears to be unreasonable. Very unreasonable uh, in the early. <laughs> as to, no, it's 350,000 too low. Well, I mean, I, I hope they're using some other method of tracking like uh, viewership numbers as well for their like their free cards. Because I mean, look, one, one championship, they said they had what? I think 500 million people or something watch, uh, you know, the, the, the one yeah. of their shows recently. So, you know, I would I would hope being somewhat facetious but uh you guys said around two hundred thousand. i still think gosh that one million number it sounds so nice but it's just it's just nearly untouchable now i, I i'm willing to say half a million you know if i'm if we're, i'm just i don't know keep things around and, and do i think it's possible if they find the right star because we haven't seen you know we haven't seen conor mcgregor in the espn plus pay-per-view era so there there's your uh there's your measure right there how how many can conor bring in and i think I think for him, oh, maybe over half a million even. Uh, and then after that, we'll see, you know, how many the second tier. You know ESPN wants Connor to fight on that page. Oh, yeah. I think that oh. I agree with you that when Connor fights, whether it's a main event or co-main event or whatever, like that will be the true test on how successful the ESPN Plus era can be. Because now that Brock Lesnar, quote unquote, has retired, like whether that's true or not, like I like there's obviously the rumblings that like he wanted a bulk like some, like a flat sum because he wasn't going to get the pay-per-view points. Uh, I think you're right on the money with that. Like if when Connor, whenever Connor fights again, that will be very telling. And I, I bet, you know, ESPN plus will probably like, why imagine having Connor on just regular ESPN, not even a pay-per-view like that would crush ratings. So, uh, but I know Connor wants to get paid, uh, but answer this question. Can it get bigger? That was like his main thing. Like, do you, where do you think the UFC, how big do you think the UFC will be in a few years? It can always get bigger. Um, I, so many of the moves they've made, I always feel like as far as building a fan base have been counterproductive. I mean, going as, going as far back as to, uh, oh, pardon me, going as far back as to um, when they made the Reebok deal. You know, it was a time when I think uh, stars, some of their stars were starting to fight less frequently or, or were aging out. And what they needed at the time was to build new guys and, and, and have people come out with their personality. And then they suddenly said, nope, you're all wearing black shorts or white shorts or, or gray shorts, whatever it was at the time. And it essentially killed that. Uh, now, I know people will say, well, how come their, you know, their profits keep going up every year and they keep making so much money? They're, they're a great business. They're really good at finding new resumes, uh, new, uh, I just completely lost, new uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, streams, revenue, I'm sorry, current Ooh. new revenue streams and, and capitalizing on, on what they have. And so even when it seems like I hear people telling me all the time, oh, I don't watch UFC anymore. I don't know people who watch UFC. They know how to get as much money as they can out of the audience they have and leverage that into TV deals and streaming deals. And um, so how much can you get bigger as a business? I mean, the sky's the limit. Uh, fan base wise, I, I, you know, I hate to say that it's that it peaked like 10 years ago because I don't think it has. Uh, but I understand why it's hard for some people to see it ever reaching sort of that exciting, you know, and buzz I, period. I don't agree with Dana White often, but one thing that stuck out on me years ago is like when Anderson Silva lost and Chuck Liddell had retired a few years before that and you were losing a lot of your and Tito Ortiz left and Randy Couture and him had that big falling out. Like, what are we going to, what are you going to do without your big stars? And he's like, we can always make new stars. And then all of a sudden Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor popped up. So uh, the UFC always seems to find their way out, but uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about the UFC going anywhere. How big can it get? Being on ESPN is a huge deal for them. Like have, being able to show fights and talk about fights on the, the mothership of, of sports networks. Uh, it's not, it's not a bad thing. But moving on. All right. MMA fighting's direction going forward. Morning, gents. Looking forward to the new version of the A-side. Jose addressed this a bit last week, but how is everyone in the company handling the departures of Ariel, Mark, Shaheen, Chuck, Dave, etc.? And then he, he, asks, uh, he goes on farther. But like I'm sure there are some things you can't discuss, but any light you can shed on the situation would be uh, greatly appreciated. Still, still a loyal listener and reader here. I'm just curious. And I will say... Uh, wherever Sean and like wherever Sean and Chuck are going, they're not gonna. They're still gonna be covering MMA, so they're not leaving the, the this landscape. If anything, they might create more. Their departures have created more opportunities. Like for perfect example, I would never be hosting this if if Sean was still here, and I wish he was because he's one of my close friends. But we're not going anywhere. MMA fighting isn't going anywhere. We're still gonna be. We're still going to work hard. I think we have the best staff uh in the mma media and i'll let you answer give your take in a second alex but i said this last week i'll say it again this week we're not going anywhere we're still the best site uh i think we have the best staff esther lynn is the best photographer in just sports not just mma casey is by far the best videographer danny uh jed mike chiapetta is still here um you of course we're we're not we're not going anywhere uh, well, first of all, I, I do I disagree. We are we are going somewhere. We're going up, Jose. <laughs> We're only going up now that we've shed the dead weight. Wow! Like like a former host of this show, who I won't name, but we've now shed the dead weight. This rocket ship can fi is finally more aerodynamic than ever. It can finally rocket into the stratosphere. Of course, I'm kidding. I I, uh, I have nothing but love for for all the guys. Like you said, we can't say where some of them are going, but uh, you know where they're going. Trust me, they're going to keep producing incredible work. Uh, just as we will here at MMA Fighting. So follow us, follow them. Like I keep saying, MMA is fun. This is a good thing. You know, this is you, you, the, for the fans to have more options, more stuff to read. We're going to have new talent coming in, more people, uh, you know, fresh voices getting a spotlight. It's super, super exciting. Uh, that said, uh, that said, I should, I should admit that uh, I am planning to uh, leave for all elite wrestling. Uh, um, I am. Yeah, I did sign an exclusive deal with AEW. Um, I will be joining AEW uh, in July. So, uh, it's, uh, I might, you know, I haven't wrestled before, but I, it looks pretty easy. We, we were in Vegas. We were all in Vegas this past weekend. Uh, look, yeah, I think it'll be, I think it'll be fun. They said, they said, whatever, they'll throw me around, drop me in my head a few times. Like, I'd so. much rather you be in Suburban Street Fight. 
<laughs> I know this is MMA. I know some of our viewers hate when we talk about pro wrestling. Can you just very briefly explain to them what Suburban Street oh Fight was? God. So Suburban Street Fight is a wrestling promotion where basically it's wrestling with no ring. You're just out in the elements wherever you are. And this there was a show in Las Vegas, AEW Fight Week, and I went with a couple of MMA fighting, MMA fighting staff, and it was basically we were in a bar of a concert venue or a roller rink or whatever. It was a small bar. I think the capacity was like 500, 600 people. That was maximum. And it was on the top floor and we walked in and the wrestlers just wrestled amongst the fans. It'd be like being at a concert and they're just being a, two wrestlers fighting each other in a concert. Like security was like, move, 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 move. And then like the wrestlers would drag each other through the crowd, throw them onto like uh the cat like the, there was like a area like if when it is a bar that was like for bottle service and they're like wrestling on the bar and wrestling on the stage and jumping off ladders like i got real nervous because the, the it was the ceiling was so low and there were a lot of ceiling fans there so i was terrified for them but uh that to me was one of the most unique experiences i've ever experienced so if you're going to do wrestling i would 100 100 support your move your you moving to suburban street fight <laughs> Uh, guys, you, if anyone wants to see pictures of what Jose is talking about, you can go to Esther's account at All Elbows on Twitter. She's got a Facebook album with a bunch of pictures as well, and then some highlights on Twitter. Uh, let's let's relate that to our last question. <clears throat> could could the UFC get bigger? Yeah. What if they got rid of the octagon, Jose? How about right, that? Joe what do you Rogan. think? All right, Joe. Rogan. That <laughs> seems to be like we, we want to fight on a football field. That seems yeah. to be his like go to his go to suggestion. <laughs> I don't I don't think I've heard that one and I'm not sure why that would be appealing but I'm just saying I agree what if they had a fight in a pool look it's a movie it's a fight in a pool hall guys are pushing guys but you know you can't escape it's like you're trying there's no you know all those guys those shifty fighters defensive fighters no 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 you got to just get pushed back into the center of the circle and, and just brawl so basically hardcore the hardcore championship from the WWE of yesteryear 1 million buys 1 million buys honestly they, if Conor McGregor fought Jose Aldo in a street fight, for sure a million buys. <laughs> two, two million. Honestly, honestly, probably. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> One championship is super sketchy, right? And I wanted to stretch. He added a lot of use from Hardy Har Har, head honcho, Chachri City Dog, out here making Putin moves. Ah, okay. Overturned the past weekend results he doesn't like. Keeping the weigh-in process clear as mud, creating onerous agent certification systems, blocking Mr. Jack Slap for pointing these bits and pieces out. Say what you will about Uncle Dana, but he always allowed even the biggest stars to lose. To lose. Am I just a biased consumer of an American media, or is there something very off about one championship? This is an interesting question. Some of the stuff I would I wouldn't compare him to Putin or anything like that, but the weigh-in process is definitely murky. Uh, them weighing in like behind closed doors and not seeing the results that to me, I wish they we would see that. I mean, and Sean and I touched upon this a little bit, but like, am I a biased American consumer? Like even their biggest stars lose like Eddie Alvarez and Sage Northcutt, they lost like Sage Northcutt broke his face. Uh, he might not be ever be the same again, but I would, I'm curious to hear, uh, your take on this. I missed the last one championship fight, but I don't, I don't think it is the way in process is definitely the one that stands out to me for sure. 
Uh, so just to very quickly explain the one of the comments in the question about uh, overturning the one of the past weekend's results. So they're having a kickboxing tournament, uh, and in the semifinals, uh, Giorgio Petrosian and uh, Pechmarakat Pechindi, I'm sure I butchered that, but uh, had a fight, and it looked like uh, Pechmarakat won. And it was later overturned, some, something about uh, his clinching. His clinching was illegal, his clinching technique. And it seemed to be fishy because Petrosian was one of the favorites going to the tournament. And it looked like they wanted to have him as one of the finalists. So, again, uh, I'll admit I did not watch that fight closely. There was another great fight. Uh, There's a couple of great kickboxing fights in that card, but I, I did not watch that one closely. And also, I feel like my knowledge of kickboxing clinch legality is not uh, not top notch. So, uh, I, I can't say for sure how fishy that was. I guess they're saying combined with everything else, uh, the weigh-in process, like you said, is 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 an odd one. If I and if I could just be like you know Luke Thomas for a second, I'll just say you know all you donks out there that are saying that. Uh, oh, one fixed weight cutting. Uh, where's your proof? You know, they're always coming at me with the fixed weight cutting. Where's the proof? Uh, I couldn't think of any other uh, Luke Thomas. Oh, okay. oh uh, I, how much How much do you lift? How much do you lift? I'm, I'm very, he doesn't say that, but it's like, I'm very, I'm very strong. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't grow a beard. So I apologize for the poor uh, Luke Thomas impression. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't like, sketchy, I think is a, is, is a, a little unfair. And like you said, sort of the Putin comparison is a little unfair. Um, the agent thing is wild. I I can't wait to see how that plays that out. That'll be my next question. Because <laughs> a lot of like like Malkikawa, I think he said on Twitter, like, what are they like? How are they going to not allow me to do my job there? Like, he has some like it doesn't. He's Demetrius Johnson's manager, correct? Yes. So like, how are they not going to allow? Like, are they saying like, oh, sorry, Demetrius Johnson, <laughs> like your manager is doesn't meet our standards? Like, they're not going to say that. Like, I feel like there's obviously going to be uh exceptions to the rules and uh i do remember that now that you mentioned the petrosians uh overturning i wasn't aware that was one championship uh but that was very weird but like that like you said i am not up to i'm not up to standard on clinching and everything but i I wouldn't call them super sketchy with four u's uh but there's definitely there's definitely some red flags that i wish they would uh clear up if 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 that's the proper term yeah and i know uh i remember bloody elbow did a, did a good kind of deep dive on the, sort of how they were financing because everyone's everyone was wondering uh how are they paying for all this exp- this insanely for an insanely rapid expansion with any sort of clear like you know pay-per-view model or or spo- like who are their sponsors and uh, someone did a deep dive and there's a lot of investors so uh, you know we were talking about the ufc business before uh one has an, a crazy amount of, of uh, private investors right now. And uh, again, so we don't know how much they're fudging the numbers. Again, we kind of joked about the 500 million uh, views or whatever they said they had from one of their recent shows. I'm sure they have a very strong viewership. The 500 million uh, was, was a bit much. Um, yeah. We can't disprove it. But again, I say, you know, use your own use your own discretion, I think, when, when uh, looking at that kind of data. So we're going to jump over to Twitter now because I know Sean and Mark would go almost two hours but we're going to try and condense it a little bit moving forward especially for the first episode so we can grow but i'm jumping to twitter our good friend dan shapiro has two questions could a big finish on saturday be makwan americani's ticket to finally getting a fight in the u.s seems like the ufc likes to groom a lot of foreign fighters in their native markets or bring them to places like vegas for big fights makwan feels due for the next step your thoughts so Makwan Americani, obviously, he's uh, I think his name is like Mr. Finland. That is his nickname. Yeah. He fights yeah. 
maybe once a year, if that. He, uh, his first fight, I believe, was what? Like an eight-second knockout over Andy Ogle. And then he's obviously yep. – he's he is a high-level wrestler, and he's actually been taking some amateur boxing fights. But it is weird, his lack of activity for being – he's he is a supermodel in Finland. Have you ever been to Makwan Americani's topology page? Go to his go to his topology so, page. <laughs> his profile oh. photo is basically him in like a tuxedo sitting or surrounded by women. Like that is that's him. Uh he's so he's a supermodel over in Finland. Maybe he doesn't need the money. Maybe he's just likes to fight, maybe to fight or keep his name out there. But it is very odd that he's been so inactive and he hasn't fallen the states specifically because he is a good looking guy. He has a huge following in Finland. He's not losing. I think he's what four and one, five and one in the UFC. So will a win A, do you think it's weird he's never fought in the in the United States or maybe Canada or wherever else? And what do you think a win does for him on Saturday? You know, I wish I could say I had the inside scoop on this because we have to assume it's something to do with visa issues, right? I like, would that is my first thing. Like maybe he just maybe right. he can't fight overseas. I know there was a lot there's been a lot of uh what the Dagestani and Russian fighters, like even like Habib's mm-hmm. dad can't fly over to the United States to corner him. So I that is my first inclination visa issues but you you were saying i think he's also had some some injury problems as well uh which has kept him away and 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 it could just be that uh that has kept him out of the minds of the matchmakers as far as uh as far as when it comes to um you know again oh finding a big u.s card for him to fight on uh he might enjoy fighting overseas again uh i i I can't imagine to the point that he would you know miss sacrifice missing out on like a pay-per-view or something but again we don't know how a lot of these fighters work so uh, do I think a win will necessarily, you know, uh, make it so that he they, they have no choice but to put on a U.S. card? Uh, no, I don't think so. Again, like I said, I, I feel like there's circumstances. It has nothing to do with his success, is what I'm saying. Uh, there's circumstances we might not be aware of, and uh, I'm not sure what it's going to take. But they do seem to be missing out on a very marketable opportunity with this guy. A hundred percent. He's definitely he's very charismatic. I remember there was a video on YouTube. I can't remember who posted it, but at the press conference, uh, someone asked him a question and his answer was literally just a wink and a smile. And then that got so many views over in Finland. And then there was another one of, he had like 500,000 views. Of, it was literally just a video of Makwan Americani eating an apple. And it got so many views overseas. So he's a big deal over there. Maybe they don't want him to fight in the United States. Maybe they want to grow that market over there. But I don't, I don't know. A win... I believe is his second win in a row, if I'm not mistaken. I think he had that split decision over Jason Knight on the UFC Liverpool. Yep, I just I see it right here. But and then he, his only loss in the UFC is to Arnold Allen via split decision. So one judge rules that in his favor. He's an undefeated fighter in the UFC. I just I do wish he was more active. Uh, but before we move on, I was corrected. It is suburban fights, not suburban street fights. So thank you for the correction. Suburban fight. All el- at all elbows, Esther Lynn has a bunch of great photo- uh, photographs uh, from that absolutely epic night in Las Vegas. But moving on, another question from Dan Shapiro. Oh, wait, Jose, Jose, before I just want to say, you got me thinking about the wink. You said he, he answered a question with just like a wink and a smile. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that doesn't work for – well, maybe it would work for you. It wouldn't work for when – I, when I I found in – when I answer a question with a wink and a smile, one, it either only raises more questions, uh, ones that I'm not prepared to answer, <laughs> and uh, or two, someone calls the police. So – uh, like I said, Makwan has something special about him. UFC should utilize that, and I should never uh, wink and smile at anyone ever again. 
Well, maybe if you get an eight-second knockout in your UFC debut, it'll give you a pass. <laughs> well, I think we also know how I'm going to end the show, by the way. But go ahead. Sure. Moving on. There's another question from Dan Sparrow. Looking down the road a bit, how do you grade the Bellator 222 card? Rory versus ne- Rory McDonald versus Nima Gracie, Shale Sonnen versus Lyoto Machida, Horiguchi versus Darren Caldwell, plus Dylan Dennis, Aaron Pico, Bandejas. With no competition from the UFC that weekend, it could be a big night. But did they miss the mark by not booking a Saturday night fight? That's a very interesting question. The timing wise, uh, I do think a lot of people have asked me, "Is this the greatest card, top to black main card in Bellator history?" It's hard to argue against it. I mean, you got a very high level welterweight championship fight. Chael Sonnen versus Leo is going to bring in the casual fans. I mean, that that's Chael Sonnen has, is one of the most popular fighters of all time. Leo Machida, former UFC champion, has wins over both the light heavyweight and middleweight Bellator champion. Right now, they're fighting a light heavyweight. Uh, Leo Machida obviously front kicked. Brandon Couture, who is one of Chael Sonnen's teammates. Horaguchi versus Caldwell, that's promotion versus promotion. Then you obviously have Dylan Danis, Aaron Pico, and uh, Ricky Bandeja. So it's hard to argue it's not the best Bellator card ever, but your thoughts on the timing of the card uh, and, and the card as a whole. Saturday is always any better than Friday. So, uh, Dan, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, but uh, as far as grading the card, man, that's a solid A. I, I don't know if you're, if you're getting a free card like that, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't say free. It's, it's on the zone, but you know, if you're the zone subscriber, I don't know if you can do much better than this. Um, like you said, we talked about uh, just the, the main card, super strong. You just said like guys like Ricky Van Dejas and the preliminaries, you've got uh, the debut of uh, Reina from Ryzen. Uh, That's right. I yeah. forgot about that. That's another. Yeah. Uh, Bell- that was recently. Yeah. yeah. Recently yeah. added uh, hops and Grayson be fighting on the prelims. Uh, Heather Hardy, Mike Kimball, a lot of, a lot of hype around Mike Kimball. Um, and, uh, uh, Aaron Pico, of course, Aaron Pico and, and Adam Boritz. Adam Boritz is uh, actually undefeated guy, undefeated Hungarian fellow who, uh, who could, you know, could be the next guy to put another dent in sort of that Aaron Pico hype yeah, train. Yeah. Either way, very exciting fight. So yeah, solid a all around. So great, good for them. I, I wish they could have found a way to make it happen on Saturday, but Come on, people. Who do you think you are? What are you doing on a Friday night? Go check out. Go, go, go! Hit that uh, DAZN and uh, and 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 watch these uh, these great guys in action. And it doesn't hurt that it's at Madison Square Garden. I mean, that's a like the obviously the most famous arena in in the United States. But uh, whether you like the physical arena or not, just it has that aura about it. But uh, I agree with you. Uh, I wish it was Saturday, but this um, A plus all around. I am very glad. Is Roy McDonald versus Gracie is the main event? Correct. That was just announced, confirmed. That is correct. So I, I get like when obviously when they announced Chael versus Machida, that seems to be the main event. It was kind of on the posters and they were sent, seated in the center of the press conference. But now that Rory has moved on and he's fighting Neiman Gracie in the main event. I love that championship fight should always headline over uh, a gangster versus Leona Machida. But, uh, but in my opinion, one of one of, if not the best Bellator cards of all time. And I'm curious because I've seen this happen at the UFC where, like, for UFC 205 is a perfect example. They had three title fights on that card, and they stacked the entire card. And then they had that New Year's Eve card, and then they had that Toronto card, like, literally, like, the, a few days, like, the next month. They had two pay-per-views. And then they had to cancel the January pay-per-view because they didn't have any fighters. Do you think they – and this is my question. Do you think they've used – they put too many eggs in their basket on this card? Like, down the road, are, are they going to be looking – for the big name fighters with since so many are on this card. No, I don't think they'll have that same problem. For one, it's not a, you know, it's technically not a triple. It might you can maybe call it a triple main event, 
but one of them is not a title fight. You know, it's mm -hmm. a three rounder between Machida and Sonnen. Uh, yes, two guys with with big name value. But uh, for one thing, I got I think a guy like Sonnen can fight fairly often. Mm -hmm. He's, he's kind of like that, so that's good. You can kind of book him whenever you want and, and uh, assume he doesn't take too much damage, which he rarely does. Uh, hope that he's available. You know, uh, in a pinch. Um, I was just looking ahead to the next card. We've got Musasi and Lovato finally. Yes. And then That's Paul Dalian. Gallagher's on that card too, correct? That's right. James Gallagher. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, and Jeremiah Labiano. And then uh, Paul Daly, Eric Silva, Melvin Manhoff is fighting. So pretty good. It's it's going to be in London. So these are we know these names. Like, are they going to like? But they're going to need a big main event to like bring people to DAZN. Do you think they've used too many of those names and on one card for uh, for building the future down the road? Because like Chael and Machida could headline a card. Horiguchi, Caldwell could headline a card. Like, Roy McDonald, Neiman Gracie headline a card. And like, honestly, Dylan Dennis, whether he deserves it or not, could probably headline a card because he's so popular and he has that Conor McGregor rub. He, I don't think he should, but he's a popular guy. He's, he's a big deal on social media. And Aaron Pico, everyone likes Aaron Pico. Do you think they've put – do you think it will hurt – that? like, basically I'm asking main events. Like, yeah, they can make big cards, but are they going to be hurting for main events down the road? Right. Did they potentially just break, put three main events on one card? Yes. Uh, well, no, I think so. You said, is it going to make, you know, they need main events to keep making people come to the zone. Really, they need to make people come to the zone once and then hopefully stick around. So I, I assume that this kind of event is a tent pole or a gateway event, whatever you want to call it, you know, where it's so big, you get people to check it out. They enjoy the action and they say, hey, I'm going to keep my subscription, uh, you know, because once you get them hooked, it's. I'm not sure, you know, exactly how the subscription business works, but I imagine getting them hooked is the first thing. And then, you know, you assume a lot of people keep their subscriptions for a few months and hopefully uh, forever. But um, in this case, like I said, you bring them in, they like the action. They say, oh, this is the only thing that's pretty good. I also like uh, football. I also like uh, whatever, uh, kickboxing and box. Oh, uh, uh, match, you know, uh, boxing. And I mean, uh, so Canelo is on to zone too. So that, there you go. I bet that's the mat, the vast majority of, of fans are tuning in for Canelo. And again, like maybe... Uh, maybe they stick around for Bellator uh, coming off of that, but we're going to keep moving on. Uh, we have a question for you specifically, Alex. Well, I'm sure I can answer, but there's some, will your Romero be the only fighter to win the big lawsuit for Tate Seltzman? We've, we've answered that early. Seems a luxury only well-paid fighters can afford. Also, will the Raptors beat the Golden State Warriors? I think the, well, again, like I said, we touched upon the lawsuit stuff already. Uh, yes, the Raptors will beat Golden State in six games. And as, I said, as, I, as I said that, my throat just tightened up a little bit. But uh, thankfully, it's not me out there playing the game, so I can say whatever I want. Uh, I have a lot of faith in uh, in the Toronto boys. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. I still can't believe they're in the NBA Finals, but I have a lot of faith in them. And then bring you that. Were, I saw you this past weekend, and you were—I could tell you were a little on edge. Not not in a bad way, but like this could like the reality was setting in for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but we're going to move on. We're going to wrap this up really soon. We have a question from some jabroni named Shaheen Al Shadi. Question for Jose: Can you please, can you please explain why you believe Spawn to be the best comic book character of all time? And there is not enough time in the world for me to describe my disdain for Todd McFarlane's Spawn. I truly believe he is the most unoriginal worst poorly drawn worst written <laughs> character in the annals of comic book history if you look back there's no i can't think of one spawn story where i was like that was a good story because they don't exist they're all terrible he has every power he's an overpowered buffoon 
who can do whatever. It's 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 just not good. It's very lazy. Uh, and then there's a follow-up question from another <laughs> jabroni named Matt Wells, another good friend of the show. Follow-up, why is Deadpool so terrible for you? Oh, Deadpool. boy, here we go. Here Same we go. Same thing. Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, 1A, 1B on biggest jabronis in comic book history. They can't draw. They especially can't draw feet. They can't write. Uh, everything needs, like, knives and lasers and guns and shoulder pads and pouches like if, if todd mcfarlane and rob lightfield had their way they would create a guy who could shoot knives out of their eyes and then like all of a sudden their fist is a grenade and it's just bad poorly written stories and if you enjoy them i am sorry but you're wrong you probably laugh at shiny objects you probably <laughs> laugh at fart jokes you just it's there it is i there again there are no words to describe my dislike for deadpool and and specifically spawn they are the worst comic book characters of all time so thank you sean and matt uh and luke thomas for chiming in because he's again it, i assume he thinks sean is is being serious where he thinks i enjoy spawn because everyone i did host a comic book video show a few years ago and i spoke about this and it was pretty 50 50 a lot of people agreed with me a lot of people did not agree with me but for the people that didn't agree with me you're all wrong spawn is terrible deadpool is terrible i thought the first deadpool movie was legitimately a decent movie like a movie not a comic book movie like just a movie the second one i was very upset by how uh they made fun of Shatterstar, which is uh, Benson Henderson's favorite superhero, which I will never let him forget. He compared himself to Shatterstar and Cable, and I was like, oh, really, guy? Come on. Pick a better hero than that. But uh, before we move on, I will make Let me just one. say, I, I would rather watch the Spawn movie again than watch the Deadpool movie. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. That's how, I feel, about the, that's how I feel about the Deadpool movie. Deadpool. They're making I, I, another, I don't like Deadpool at all. They're making another Spawn movie. Starring I'd, James watch, I'd watch the one with John Leguizamo and, and Michael Jai White. I, I would rather watch if you had to, if I had to choose, I'd rather watch that. You probably that's like, would you rather watch Spawn or Deadpool? Is like, which one of your hands would you want to get cut off? <laughs> like neither. I'd rather keep both hands and watch a a good movie. But anyway, I digress because I could talk about this four hours. I'll make one last peruse through Twitter. A lot of few more questions on Jose, your Jose, while you're perusing, can I say uh we didn't talk about anything in the in the topic? Uh I'm looking at the graphic and I'm like, oh we've got four Alexander Gustafson. Now look, it's because we got that, I was gonna bring that up. Uh well, we, got, we got such excellent questions from our readers. So thank thank you, readers, for for giving us more than enough to discuss. So for sure, it's you know, if it's uh, it's it's I'm, I'm blaming the readers. I'm just saying, I'm blaming the readers for having such great questions. So I'm gonna I was gonna peruse Twitter one more time before I jump in. Alex, your initial thoughts on UFC Stockholm, uh, especially the main event between Alexander Gustafson and Anthony Smith. We've had it seems we had that rare weekend off with no UFC card, so it feels weird to me. Like Look, I was like trying to remember the last card, and I was like, "Wow, it's been a, what 14 days since the last one." But your initial thoughts on uh, Alexander Gustafsson versus Anthony Smith? Man, I think that's a legit like could be a, a top five fight of the year candidate. I don't know if people think I'm crazy, but you have two guys here who are great, both great stand-up fighters, and also they both know that they're not going to be close to a title shot. If, they, if they, whoever wins is still going to be a few fights away from a title shot, so they can kind of let their hair down, as it were, you know. So. I'm actually really, really looking forward to that main event. I am ecstatic, especially after like I thought always thought that was a really good fight, no matter what. Mm -hmm. uh, I would watch that. And then Anthony Smith was on the MMA hour yesterday. 
And uh, he was speaking with our, our colleague, Luke Thomas, and he was basically like, I don't give an F what happens in this fight. I don't care if I win. I don't care if I lose. I'm not talking. I'm not thinking title shots. I'm not thinking where this puts me in the division. I just want to go and perform. He wants to hit Alexander Gustafson as hard as he can, as much as he can. And if he wins, he wins. He basically just says he wants to erase the memory of his last performance from his mind because it keeps him up at night. So a fired up Anthony Smith that doesn't that basically doesn't care. I mean, he said that when he fought Rashad, when he fought Shogun, when he fought Vulcan, like he just went in. Like, I'm going to beat this dude's ass. And that's where he that seems like where he's at now, where he said against John Jones, he got too into too into a game plan and he forgot what got him to the dance was his words. And then he finished. It was, it goes, I just need to destroy something. And I was like, all right, Tyler Durden, that's a little aggressive, <laughs> but uh, I am very like, he sold me on like, I was into this fight already, but he is so hyped for this. And uh, if he wins or loses, obviously there's that Luke Rockhold fight out there. I mean, if there's one thing he spits fire at, it's Luke Rockhold. So uh, I am a hundred percent sold on this main event for sure. Obviously neither one's going to get a title shot anytime soon. Uh, but, uh, and, and someone I speak of the devil question just came in for, for both of us. If Alexander Gustafson loses, is that it for him? Is there any fight flying under the radar? I assume flying under the radar means on the actual card itself, but, uh, I'll let you answer the Alexander Gustafson question. Oh, uh, you know what? Give, give me a minute here. So I know we're running low on time. Here we go. Uh, sorry. I just have my own little, little rankings here. I'd like to take a look at. No, I don't. Well, first I'll say if I, if he loses, I don't think he's done. Um, I, I know he was saying on the on the MMA hour the other day he wants to fight three times in a year, which seems unlikely since we're already in May. He rarely fights more than twice, but I at least like that he is in the mindset to do that. As for what good fights are there for him, gosh, you know, it's it's a little scary to think that he's entering the part of his career where he has such a name, you know, two-time UFC title challenger, and that they'll start using him as a stepping stone, you know, to push some of their younger guys. Um I'm just looking. Oh, light heavyweight is almost as shallow as heavyweight. And, um, it's rough, man. Looking at it, like there's obviously Co the Corey Anderson's out there. Mm -hmm. Like we have Dominic Reyes is out there. I, mean, I know he's like Corey Anderson's been uh, calling him out. Vulcan Ozdemir is fighting in the co-main event, correct, against um, Eler Latifi. But uh, Gustin's not going to fight Latifi. They're teammates. So the light heavyweight <laughs> division is hurting right now. I could see rematches like a Shogun rematch or something like he might be entering that phase of his career where, again, you just match him up with other guys who have names still who aren't anywhere really realistically near the 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 front of the contenders line. So uh, it's kind of a grim assessment. But I, what I really mean to say is I think he has more fights in him. So if you're a fan of Gustafsson, I, that, that's a good thing. A hundred percent. And there's just a mass exodus of fighters. And we, we've actually honestly, there's a we've lost a lot of fighters, but we've gained Tiago Santos. Luke Rockhold, like Jan Glackowitz is who's is who's obviously fighting Rockhold, but we've seen a lot of middleweights come up. So if if more middleweights wants to make that jump up to light heavyweight after seeing the success, uh, there could be a lot of exciting fights, but maybe not fights that'll get him into the title contention. I don't know how much like if, if he fights a middleweight that comes up. Like Rockhold versus uh Gustafson that was supposed to happen, I think last year before Rockhold's like knee flared up, that would have been that would have been the fight for, to make in my mind. But uh, Rockhold has his eyes set on John Jones. And then he has stuff. He has uh, some issues with uh, Anthony Smith to take care of before he, he fights Alexander Gustin. But the card as a whole, any fights flying under the, under the radar for you? Oh, I was just – oh, yeah. You know, it's I think overall, actually just looking at the main card, 
uh well even on the undercard but looking at the main card th there's this is a lot of exciting fighters i know they might not have names that people recognize but daniel tamer is, is a super exciting guy we mentioned amir khani this could be a big breakthrough for him i think manuel rakic that's uh, going to be uh like the third last fight in the main card uh has potential to be again good good stand-up battle so and then on the prelims Tanya I want to talk about one, one name on the prelims Go. that jumps out for me. Well, the fight is Stevie Ray versus Leandro Santos. <laughs> Leandro Santos is un, has not lost in the UFC. His only loss is to Norman Park, and he knocked out Kevin Lee, like, what, four or five years ago, and then he hasn't fought in three years. Like, he has wins over Tony <laughs> Martin, Kevin Lee, Adriano Martins, Efren Escudero, and then he fought Norman Park to a draw, like, I it's it's weird to me because Leandro Santos is not the youngest fighter out there, but it's weird that we basically lost three years of watching this guy fight after getting legit legitimate victories over high level opponents. And uh, I, I'm I'm very curious to see if the sport has passed him by, uh, how he'll perform after such a long layoff. And then Stevie Ray, I mean, he's just a kind of like one of those quirky, fun favorites. Uh, I remember what I believe he fought. Oh my God! I think it was Joe Lozon in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And someone was like, why are you fighting in Nashville? Like, cause he's uh, from overseas and he's like, I just want to introduce myself to the American audience. Like these are the fight cards, like the Nashville cards, the Cincinnati cards, the, the Boise cards. Like these are the cards that people tune in, like diehards watch. So he wanted to introduce himself and he fought and I believe he beat Joe Lozon in Nashville. So a uh, uh, fun guy. He has, I think he has a win over Ross Pearson too. So I'm, I am very excited for that fight. Yeah, it's definitely intriguing. Uh, you mentioned Santos. He's not the youngest guy. He's actually 39 years old. Yeah, he still dude. looks very young. What was but you're right. It's 2016, 2017, something like that, correct? Uh, he hasn't fought since October 2016. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see him uh, <laughs> the octagon again. Our own uh, Guillerme Cruz has written quite a bit about him. So, oh, you know, definitely check our site to see, uh, see uh, Guillerme's interview with uh, Leonardo. Uh, but, yeah, how much he has left in the tank, whether he's, he will remain undefeated, uh, that's definitely something to watch on Saturday. So we're going to close up here unless I'll make one last perusal over the UFC Twitter comment section. We're good. So I'll kick it to you, Alex. Like always, we will keep it in tradition. We get, we get a little promo. It's all, the floor is yours, my friend. Uh, oh, well, you know, I usually don't have a lot of stuff to plug other than some interviews I've got I've had done recently. I'll be talking to uh, Tatiana Suarez uh, later today, hopefully. We kind of had featured her recently. But again, she's got that fight coming up. I believe it's next week. Is it next? Is it UFC 230? Uh, yeah, 238. That's the show. Yeah, yeah, next week. And, uh, you know, that she, she, everyone knows, everyone's talking about her as, as the next uh, future champion. So we'll see where her head is at uh, as we get closer to fight day. And uh, Luis Pena, I spoke to recently, so we'll have a feature on him too. I know people love the violent Bob Ross, so that one is still coming. And, oh, and I should have stuff coming on uh, Nick Newell and John Gotti III, who are both fighting at uh, CES this weekend. So look out for that, guys. Uh, and I'll leave you with a Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have the scruff of and the jawline of Americani to pull that off. I gave it a shot, Jose. Hey. I gave it a shot. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Good <laughs> on you. But I don't have much to say at all. This was my first time hosting. Um, you were I, fabulous. I hope so, man. And obviously, moving forward, we're going to be back on the normal time. I hope you guys tune in. Uh, I know I'm not Sean. I know I'm not Mark. I know I'm not Luke. It's very weird to me that I'm now the host because I remember watching Luke before I was even an MMA journalist doing this. And then Sean and Mark are two of my closer friends in the game. So it is very weird 
for me than not, I am now the host. Uh, I don't know who will be joining us. I think we're going to be trying to do a rotation like Sean was doing. So you'll see a lot more of Alex down the road, but you'll also see Pizzi and Danny. Mike Chiapetta, I would love to get Mike Chiapetta on the show. He's one of the OGs and one of the best writers in, in the business. He makes a lot uh, of demands. He has a lot of demands. That's the problem. Yeah. He's, a, he's, a, he's a real diva. He's a Yankees fan, isn't he? I wouldn't know. I, I think he's not. a Yankees fan. So that doesn't make sense. Obviously, like you tell me he's a Yankees fan. I'm like, oh, he's probably going to want all of this, like the red carpet rolled out for him. Whatever. <laughs> I bet but uh, this was my first show. Uh, you'll be seeing a lot more of me, but you'll be seeing a lot more of Alex. I hope you stick around. Uh, I had a lot of fun hosting this. Uh, it was a blast doing it with Sean last week. It was a blast doing it with Alex this week. But for I'm Jose, that's Alex. Uh, tune in next week, obviously, to the A-side. And then we obviously have the MMA Hour Monday. We got PC Carroll. If you haven't listened to his Eurobash, it is one of the best podcasts in all of MMA. He is one of the – his laugh is just infectious, man. I can't wait till he's back on the show again. You got the MMA beat tomorrow. And then, obviously, uh, the Stockholm card – don't know if PT is there. I'll find out. Uh, but it's 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 gonna be it's it's gonna be a new it's a new era of MMA fighting. So, but this will be up on everything: Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, all that. After, uh, but for me, I'm Jose. That's Alex, and we'll see you next week. Hey, sorry.